What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. The reality is a customer's experience can make or break a business. And it really doesn't matter what we're selling or what we're doing. The experience will be what speaks. And that's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you as we're all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the spaces and places that God has put us. Well, welcome to episode 176. We are going to be talking about the power of that customer experience with Elizabeth Dixon, and it's going to be a rich one. Whether you're in the church business, whether you're in the school business, whether you are in the business of business, it really doesn't matter. Even in the restaurant world, what a person feels and what a person experiences makes all the difference in the world. Today is going to be a lot of fun. If you have never listened to the podcast before, I am so glad to have you. If you are a week-to-week, every-time listener, thanks for coming back. It always means the world to me to be on this journey with you. Well, you're going to love Elizabeth Dixon. She currently serves as the executive director of the Trillith Foundation, and previously served as the principal lead for Chick-fil-A's strategy of hospitality and service design. She is fun. She is enjoyable. And I tell you what, you can see what makes her a great leadership coach. And we break down her book, some of the principles, the power of the customer experience, five elements to make an impact. We unpack some of those and just have a great dialogue about not only the customer experience, but about the faith that drives Elizabeth Elizabeth, in the work that she does. Today is going to be a fun one. So I don't know where you're listening from, but I want you to pull up a chair and I want you to listen in to my conversation with Elizabeth Dixon. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you. Well, I'm so thankful to be here. Thank you for having me, Mike. Well, this is so fun. So looking back in your background, you were a exercise science degree coming out of college. And today you have gotten to work for 20 years with one of the world's most admired companies in Chick-fil-A. Now you've moved on even with that, with Dan Cathy and his new endeavors with Trillith. How in the world did you transition from the world you thought you were going to get into to the world you're in today? Oh, man, I love that question. I feel like it can only be pointed back to God. I was at Liberty University in an exercise science major because my dad asked me a great question when I was in college. 
It's a question I hope I ask my kiddos when they are older and they're at this point in life to decide what they want to major in or what they want to do with their life. And he said, what do you love to do? And at the time I was a ballet dancer and I loved the human body and how it worked and exercise. And I told him that and he said, well, can you major in that? And I said, you, you actually can. And so that was my major. I loved learning more about the human body and helping people thrive and be their best physically and emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And so I was at a bit of a crossroads where I was offered a really neat job at the White House to do exercise science health promotion at the White House. And I felt like the Lord was saying, this isn't it. And so I was applying for any job possible. Even the YMCA in Lynchburg, where I was volunteering, was like, hey, we have nothing for you. We we don't have any jobs for you. And I just remember praying like, Lord, please don't make me move home without a job. I had a great internship at a prestigious group, Cooper Aerobic Center in Dallas. Please don't make me move home without a job. And um, that's exactly what happened. And I had a major <laughs> lesson that I had to learn that even though the Lord had blessed with really great opportunities and I worked hard for my grades and all of these things, that my heart was starting to drift a bit from being really focused on it being about him and his glory. And so for three months I wrestled and I remember I was, I was volunteering. I was our church. I said, can I be an intern for women's ministry? And our women's ministry director said, we don't have that. And I said, no, no, it's like free labor. Like I will show up on Monday. Tell me what to do. I want to figure out where do I need to be putting my time and energy in this season? And it was really, really special because there was a day in two 2004. It was in March and I came downstairs at home. I was living with my parents because that's what every college graduate wants to do is <laughs> live with their parents. And that's what every parent wants there. That's right. That's right. Again. And I told my mom, I said, mom, I'm done fighting. And she said, what do you mean? <laughs> And I said, if I, and we'll have a little throwback here for some, but if I am supposed to be a Tybo instructor, like Billy Blanks, but not that big or famous for the rest of my life, then that's what I want to do. And I want to do it for the Lord. Mm. And Mike, literally the next day, I get a call from the group that I did an internship with. And they said, Chick-fil-A is looking for someone to come and start a wellness program for them. Are you interested? And that's the journey of how I went from kind of exercise science to being in the chicken world. And I got to create a wellness program for Chick-fil-A. And then I moved into human resources and then over to marketing. And I went from helping people be their best physically to meeting more emotional needs through hospitality and our restaurants and through a chicken sandwich. So it's been a huge honor, a fun journey, but it really can just be pointed back to the Lord and exciting plans that he had in store. That's so fun. And for those that are listening in, so I'm a Liberty grad as well. And so for those listening in, the the Lynchburg YMCA is not the uh it's not the prettiest YMCA in the world. And so when a job doesn't open up at the Lynchburg Y, it's like, all right, Lord, this is things are things are not looking up. You know, as you look back, Elizabeth, what's the biggest lesson you learned that doors didn't just swing open for you? You know, you, you look at life and sometimes we walk through all these open doors and it's like life is easy and life is great. Then there's other times we get closed doors and we get no's. What did you learn about the Lord in those closed doors and no's that you couldn't have learned any other way? Mm. You know, what I think one of the greatest promises that we have is that he says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. 
And I think his presence can be felt so much more vividly when we are depending on him. And when we hit those closed doors, we're reminded that it isn't ours to figure all of it out. I think we have to show up. We control the effort we put in. We don't control the outcome. And through those times where there's a closed door, he's present. Mm -hmm. And those are some of the sweetest seasons, even though they are gut-wrenching and they are hard. And sometimes they feel really long and they feel confusing, but he says, Hey, I'm never going to leave you. And I'm never going to forsake you. And I think, you know, there's more secular perspectives on this. Ryan holiday has a great book talking about the obstacle is the way I think there's actual really great things that can happen through those doors closing. We either have to be more creative to figure out another path around it, or we just kind of sit in the space we're in and recognize maybe our life purpose can be lived out in the hard season I'm in. Mm. And maybe my life walking through this waiting is a testimony to others and their faith. And it'll probably sharpen my faith too. And Paul talks a lot about that in scripture, about how the trying and the testing of your faith is going to develop perseverance. And I don't think that we learn perseverance when things are all happy and shiny and good, and they're just kind of smoothly going along. I think we learn it in the harder times and that dependency and relationship and intimacy with the Lord just grows exponentially through them. That's a fantastic answer. And, you know, it's so it's so interesting now because where you sit, you're not a high school student. You're not a college student. You now have the rearview mirror of life to look back and go, all right, Lord, if you hadn't have closed all those doors, I would have never spent 20 years at Chick-fil-A. I would have never spent time as the principal lead of strategy, hospitality, and service design at Chick-fil-A and ended up in the role that you're in now. And you got a front row seat to be mentored by some of the world's greatest leaders. You didn't just read their books. You got to rub shoulders with them. What did you learn rubbing shoulders with Horst Schultz, say, Dan Cathy, Truett Cathy, what did you learn about leadership up close that you couldn't have learned from a distance? Oh, my goodness. I mean, they are three of the best for sure. I was actually just on the phone with Horst yesterday. He's hilarious. He called, left me a voicemail. He said, I'm one of your only friends, Elizabeth, call me back. And um, I was like, oh, I love that. Um, but gosh, they live it. Like Truett, Dan, Horst, they live it. There was a, a trip that, um, it was a Chick-fil-A event and Horst came on it on the trip with a whole big group of ours. And it was, um, we were staying, I think at seven different hotels. The event was so large. And we were walking through a Hyatt. And as we walked through, numerous people would come up to Horst, employees of the hotel. And they said, Mr. Schultze, thank you so much. I worked for you in 1992 at... They said the hotel, you taught me everything I know about hospitality. Right. The amount of detail that these men know about their craft and the way that they're able to inspire it and teach it and elevate and take a bet on others is incredible. And I think when I think about all three of those, they all have taken bets on people, believed in people, 
brought people on to elevate them and inspire them. They're growth-minded people. They're ones with big visions who say, imagine a day, imagine a world when this is what it could be like. And yet at the very same time, the other day at Trilith, we were walking down the street and Dan was teaching me about the amount of gravel you need in between each cobblestone to be able to get just the right sound when you drive over the cobblestone with your car. And I thought, wow, the wow. amount of detail to be excellent to those those little things and then to help people be excellent in their, their ways. And horse book, Excellence Wins, oh, all about being excellent. And true, it would often talk about, let's talk about excellence, not about success. Excellence is still there when success fades away. Excellence is more about the process we take. It's more about the controllables that we have. It's the choices that we make. It's not focused just on the outcomes that sometimes we can't control. So I'm so honored to have been able to spend so much time with each of them and the way that they live out excellence, the way they care about other people, the way they take a bet on people and they make it more about the purpose and the mission that we're after. And it's not about them is absolutely inspiring. That's so good. And, you know, in your, you see so much of that without having to write about them, you see so much of them in your new book, the power of the mm -hmm. customer experience. You see mm -hmm. those conversations that are now playing out as part of your life. What drove you to write this book? What what made you want to take all of this and put it on paper? Well, it was a big conversation as a family. So we have a seven and a nine-year-old. And oh, this was boy. last year in fall. And we had a family meeting. And family meetings, Mike, at our house include ice cream. So everybody gets a bowl of ice cream. And we sit around and talk about a decision that we need to make. The kids get input. So if you follow the rapid model in decision-making, they get the input. They don't get the D. They don't get the decision. Yeah. But um, we sat around and we talked about what would it look like for mom to do this? Because I only have so much time that I can speak. And I love it. But I felt like one of the tensions that I was experiencing was in my role at the time within Chick-fil-A, I had great resources that were at my fingertips, books like Chip and Dan Heath's Power of Moments, all about the moments that we create, and Horsebook, Excellence Wins, and great strategy books around hospitality and customer experience. But one thing I noticed was the front lines is where the experience is either going to be made or broken. And not every frontline employee recognizes the power that they have at their fingertips. And it's it's twofold. It's the power to bring this brand to life. Most people, when they talk about a bad experience that they have with a brand, they're talking about a person That's and right. an individual who made a decision that was disrespectful, it was unkind, it was indifferent, and they're not going to go to that brand anymore. And I thought, wow, does that person on the front lines know that? And the second part is that they have the power to impact that life on the other side of that counter, on the other side of that transaction, on the other side of that experience. Do they know that? Do they know that they have the power, as some of our research found, to confirm or deny one sense of humanity? Do they know that? That their purpose in life could be lived out where they're getting their paycheck? And those two things don't have to be separate. And so that's what really led me to do it was to say, hey, there is power 
in representing the brand and helping brands thrive and be brands that we can't imagine our lives without. And there is power in that individual interaction that they actually could live out their purpose and get a paycheck at the same time. And I thought, man, if every frontline employee could understand that, I feel like our world would be a whole lot nicer, a whole lot more grace-filled, a whole lot kinder. And so maybe if I put pen to paper, we could put some of this together to help frontline employees and employees within cultures recognize the way we treat each other makes a massive difference in our culture and for our brands. And it really doesn't matter if it's Chick-fil-A, which everybody associates with this, or it's O'Reilly Auto Parts or the grocery store or the church or the drugstore. How you're treated and how our people treat, it's really a reflection on the leader, isn't it? So if if a frontline person isn't treating people properly, what should the leader be able to look at and go, what am I not doing? So talk to me a little bit about that. Back that up a little bit. If things aren't going good on the front lines, what role does the leader playing that? play in that? Yes, a huge role. I mean, part of it can be selection. Did they select someone that's not well suited for the seat that they're in? Part of it could be training. Do they not know? Have they not been taught or told or onboarded correctly to know the best way to bring this to life? So it could be selection. It could be training. Or it could be a reflection of the culture. And the customer experience is really an overflow of that employee experience. And the leader is responsible for that employee experience. So if we want customers' experiences to change, we have to make sure that we're changing the cultural-related experiences for the employees. And so I think the leader has to look at what does selection look like? What does training look like? And what is the culture that I'm creating? And leaders are responsible for culture in what they model and what they create and what they allow. Those are the three things that if we focus on what am I modeling, what am I creating, and what am I allowing in this culture? And then to have the courage to ask the people that we work with those questions. What are the things that I'm modeling or I'm creating that is not in line with the culture that we're trying to create? And what are the things that I'm allowing to happen that I probably need to pay more attention to? so that we have feedback around us to be able to make sure that we're making the good choices. We're not being unintentional with um, the experiences that we're creating for people around us and that we're doing the things that we need to do to make the culture great so that the overflow onto the customer is great. That's really good. You, You hit in there and it's really, I love how you broke the book up into the different elements of a great Mm. customer experience. And your first one, I'm going to be honest, caught me off guard. I'm like, I have never thought about it that way before. And you talked about the ability to choose your mindset. Mm. Why is that so foundational for a frontline person, for a C-suite person? Why is it so foundational that they get their mindset right for them to be able to great to create a great customer experience. Yes, mindset determines what you get. Like the things, like it's a proverb, right? So as we think, so shall we act. The things that are in our minds impact the way that we are going to show up. And so if our mindset in in anything in life, this applies at home too. If our mindset is like, oh, I have to do that. Mm-hmm. It's going to change the energy that we put toward it and the attitude that we put toward it. But if we have a mindset of, oh, 
I get to do this. This yep. is a part of my responsibility. I get to do this. Then it changes the way that we show up and the decisions that we make. And so when it comes to customers specifically, if we view customers as being a nuisance, I worked at the Gap off International Drive in Florida, which is where all the tourists go. I mean, we <laughs> knew the sound of the brakes when those buses would pull up and just yep, and let off what felt like thousands of tourists who tried on every article of clothing in the store. And you know, you have to fold things back into that perfect Gap fold. Talk about mindset. Our mindset for the customer became, oh, here comes some more of them. But Henry Ford said, hey, 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 it's not the employer who pays the wages. It's mm. the customer who pays the wages. Mm. The employer is just passing the money through. And so if we have a mindset that they're a nuisance opposed to a necessity, it completely changes the way we show up. It changes the way we act. It changes the way that we communicate with others. And so mindset determines what we get, what are the mindsets that we have to have to be able to create the experiences at home, at school, at work, wherever that is, that are ultimately a representation of who we want to be as people. And that can change everything. Yeah. And I, and I think we've all gotten out of our car and seen restaurant employees locking doors as we're walking up because it's 10 till it's 10 till closing time and they're locking the door and you're like, okay. I mean, we see a manifestation of that mindset. And you talked about it. One of these I wanted to grab and there were actually two E's in there. I thought were really, really good. And your pastor would be very proud. Andy would be very proud that you used all E's. So you made Andy <laughs> proud. I want you to know that, but you talked about excellence and empathy are major mindsets. How would you how would you describe a mindset of excellence and a mindset of empathy? Mm. So excellence, again, horse book, excellence wins is absolutely incredible. But excellence is around choosing to be able to show up and to do our best. It's the things that, to me, it's more about the behaviors of excellence than the outcomes. I think the behaviors lead to the outcomes. But what we can control is to go above and beyond. What we can control is to do the very best we can. When our kiddos get in the car and they say they had a test or they had a quiz or they had something that was graded, the first question we ask is, did you do your best? Because I care more that they did their best, whether that's straight A's or straight C's. I care more that they did their best and they put their effort in than what that little red pin on the top right corner says. And so excellence is about how you show up. And in Horse Book, he has an incredible story that all of this started for him. I mean, the Ritz was the expression of what grew in his heart at age 14 in Germany. Oh, he begged his mom to let him go work at a hotel. I mean, don't you love 14 year olds that are begging to work? Like they mm. see the value in working hard. Well, that was horsed at a little young age. And he went to work at this hotel that was miles away from his house. And when, his, when he left, his mom said, shine your shoes, iron your shirt, be your best because you're serving important people. And when he got to the hotel and started working, they said, when you are here, you shine your shoes, you iron your shirt, you act your best, you're serving important people. And while he was there, he did this rotation. And one of the seasons of that rotation, he was working in the dining room. And every time the maitre d' would walk in the room, Horst said the mood would rise. There was something about this man that the way he would go from table to table, he elevated the entire room. Mm -hmm. And he talked to him and the man told him, he said, you are an important person. 
And Horace put this connection and he wrote a paper at age 14 called Ladies and Gentlemen Serving Ladies and Gentlemen. And for those that are familiar with the Ritz-Carlton, that became the motto when he started the hotel around 1982 that Ritz-Carlton was about ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. We are important people and we're serving important people. Mm -hmm. And when we recognize that we're important and we're here to serve important people, we show up with our best. So we have to have a mindset of excellence. And then a mindset of empathy is being able to, Brene Brown talks about it in her books and in all of her research and work around empathy, about being able to understand and share feelings of someone else. We don't have to wear their feelings, but we can we can share their feelings. We can understand their feelings. We can empathize with them. And so that plays into experiences because you get some really ticked off customers sometimes mm. who are really upset. <laughs> They're taking it out on you. And so often they just want to get their frustration out. Mm. And when our natural fight or flight response kicks up when an angry person comes towards us, we're either going to fight back, which is never a good situation in an employee customer situation, or we're going to just run away, which is also not ideal. We miss a powerful opportunity that actually can build more trust because a problem happened in every communication, friendship, marriage, whatever the dynamic, when there is a problem and we come together and can empathize with each other, we actually build more trust with each other than if that problem never happened. So the problem is really an opportunity to empathize and go, you know what I think is really going on with this person. And so I'm going to listen. I'm going to apologize to them for what happened. I'm going to make it right for them. I'm going to try to go above and beyond for them and make this right. Then we actually, because we chose empathy, we actually build more trust with them than if something didn't go wrong. But it goes back to that mindset that so often we view those problems as uh, as not opportunities. We view them as threats and we miss the opportunity that's there. So we have to keep that mindset of empathy that something's happening on the other side of the story. I might not ever know what it is, but I can at least try to believe the best in this person and try to treat them the way that I would want to be treated. And what I love about that, Elizabeth, is that's all done in advance. Those are mindsets that are formed prior to the event. It is a choice going into it. And it's really good. And you went on in element two and you talked about your culture and your customer. But I wanted to spend a little time in element four on differentiation. And mm. you talked about making the most of your moments. This is so, I heard Seth Godin say years ago, if you're not remarkable, you're invisible. Oh, how yeah. do how do we differentiate ourselves in how we handle people and in mm. how we handle the things that we don't have control over that come our way? What are ways we can take advantage of those moments, quote unquote, that God sends our way in a customer experience? Yes. Well, three that I feel like are helpful to think about that could often be missed are signature moments. They're small things. It's kind of like your hand signature. Um, it's special to you and it's unique to you. And I think each of us through our own personalities can have those unique ways to express care for somebody else. When we think about brands, Nordstrom is known for walking the bag around the counter to present it to you. It's way more efficient to hand it over the counter. But someone, and I don't know who it was, said, hold on, we could actually make this a moment. We could present their bag to them and make more of a connection in that small gesture. 
and notice next time that you're there, watch it happen. It's really cool. And it's, it's not expensive, but it makes a difference. Chick-fil-A, um, Ritz Carlton is the one who came up with the, my pleasure response. Chick-fil-A was just unexpected in it. When you're at Ritz Carlton, you're, you're paying for that experience. Um, Truett and Dan in 2008 said, Hey, what could we do that would be unexpected in mm -hmm. the fast food space? And being elevated in the experience was unexpected. So thinking, what is it that I can uniquely do that's going to make a moment and be special for somebody around me? And then being surprising at times, again, Chip and Dan Heath throw power of moments and they talk about these peak moments. It's not, it's not all the moments being equal, but it's also having like peak moments that are really more important than, than some of the rest of the moments. And so how can you have really surprising, exceptional moments that stand out for people? And when you're doing customer journey maps, which is kind of a, a nerdy, geeky thing in the service design world. But when you're thinking about all the steps that a customer is taking in their journey um, to work with you or to come and get your product or your process, where are those peak moments? Maybe if it's an e-commerce business, it's the unboxing of when you open the box. How is that unique and special? And how can you create a surprise moment out of that? If it's within athletics and it's at a game like what's that halftime experience that might just be so surprising and fun that people don't know what's coming next after each game whatever that is um be surprising in it and keep it fun and fresh and quirky and cool and then the last is where we need that empathy the most and it's the solvable moments it's the things that go wrong and we need to figure out a way to make them right and maybe we didn't make them wrong maybe the customer messed up they didn't order correctly they forgot something they left something in the hotel well we get a unique chance to make it right and make it better and if we can go above and beyond in that moment then we're going to remind them hey you matter your life matters we care about you um, and it's going to create a really neat bond and relationship between that person and that brand you, we are all given a finite time on this earth you know, you had the privilege of growing up. You met the Lord. You went away to a great university. It's uh, it's just a special place. If you haven't if you haven't been around Liberty when you're walking on somebody's dream like you and I got to walk on all those years while we were there, it really is amazing. You've got a beautiful family. You've had an amazing career. You know, the Bible says that David served his purpose in his generation, and then he was done. When God created Elizabeth Dixon, what do you think he created you to do? And who do you think he created you to be? What would you say? That's mm, so good. At this point in my life, I reserve the right to, to learn more and get smarter. But at this point in my life, I feel like he created me to uh, create value where there is an opportunity in a way that impacts people's lives. And so for me, the expression of that is what you would call entrepreneurism. I love to build businesses. I love to create new things. That's what my role is now with Dan. I love that so much. He has incredible vision and I get to help come alongside and bring those things to life. And so I think that's what he created me to do was find those opportunities and bring those 
businesses to life, whether that's, I call it kind of entrepreneurism within an organization, or it's some of the fun little side hustles that I do um, on the side. And so I think that's what he created me to do uniquely. And what's interesting, Mike, is that took time for me Mm. to understand and recognize because I thought everybody was wired that way. And one thing I've learned in the years that I've been alive is that the gifts that God's given us sometimes are so natural to us that we overlook them. And we think everybody can do that. And then what's worse is we start to diminish them. And because they're natural to us, we say, oh, that's nothing. And I, my heart cringes every time I hear that, because I think about how God knit us together and the intention that he put in of like, oh, here's how I'm going to make Mike. This is going to be awesome. He's going to be able to do this so uniquely well that people around him are going to be like, that's incredible. How'd you do that, Mike? And Mike's going to say, wow, God gave me that gift. Mm -hmm. That really is cool. But for some reason along life, we start to like diminish these things and say, oh, no, oh, that's nothing. That's no big deal. Anybody could do that. No, they can't. And I think that is the thing I get really passionate about is we've been given a gift and we have to steward it. And God was really clear, however you want to interpret the parable of the talents, you know, he said, hey, here's what I gave you. What'd you do with it? And I think the gifts that we've been given are just as important as the resources that we steward financially and the time that we have. Like you said, we have a finite amount of time. And so for me, all that to say, little sidebar there, but it's to create new value and who to be. Gosh, I think to be his daughter. Mm. There's this picture. I wish I had it with me, but there's this picture one of my mentors sent me and it's of this man. If you can imagine this father holding this child and the delight on the father's face. And, um, and there's a Bible verse from Zechariah that's on this little like postcard. And it talks about rejoicing over you with singing. Mm. And when you think about how God created us and knit us together, this father looking at this child, the father doesn't get anything from the child, like the child's not giving him anything or, or striving for anything or intentionally trying to do something. The child is just being, mm. and God, this man is just looking at this child with sheer delight. And so I think, who did he create me to be as much as I think about, oh, what am I supposed to do? And what burden am I supposed to carry? And what, what's my job that I have to stress over? I really think when God thinks about his children and when he thinks about me, I think he just delights in us being his child and trusting him and saying, God, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know what you've given me today. And I want to bring you glory with it. And I don't want to diminish and I don't want to take for granted, but I want to steward this well. And I want to point to you with my life. And I don't know that I do that most days, but gosh, that's what, that's what I want. That's what I want and aspire toward is just being in that state of being where I am um, the branch Mm. and he's the vine. And I go, you've got this and you hem me in behind and before and beside, and you've gone ahead of me and you're never going to leave me. And so I'm your child and I'm good. And I'll be in that and let you walk me beside still waters and trust you in the process, whatever that's going to look like. That's what I aspire toward and dream of for sure. You know, I love conversations like that that make you think. They drive you to pause, 
to look into your system and your group and to say, how are we doing? And are there things we could be doing better at? And uh, today was one of those conversations. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for joining us on Lynch with a Leader. Where we come out strong again next week, we sit down with one of the best organizational leaders and coaches in the marketplace, Jenny Catron. And you are going to love, this will be my second time getting to sit down with Jenny. And she brings so much wisdom to the ball game. It's going to be a really, really good one next week. So do me a favor, go leave a rating and review. If you enjoy this podcast, it does help others find their way to us. And know this, you listening means the world to me. So Go have a great day and let's be the leaders that God created us to be in the spaces and places that he has put us. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.